Turn your Bibles. We're going to start in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. As you're turning there, a teenager brings her new boyfriend home to meet her parents. They were a little taken back with his wild haircut, all of his tattoos, and the many piercings that he had. Later, the girl's mom says to him, I don't know about this one, she says. He doesn't seem very nice. Mom, the daughter replies, you're wrong on this one. If he weren't nice, why is he doing 500 hours of community service? Nice guy, right? Amen. Today, I want to talk about marriage made in heaven. And it's uh, kind of ironic on our 29th wedding anniversary, the Lord has uh, put a message like this on my heart. He actually started several weeks ago, and it just uh, the timing just worked out perfect. Um, but today, traditional marriage and traditional family values are under attack like never before. A once treasured institution is now mocked, and it's literally being ripped apart. It's no longer valued as it should be. I recently heard about a man who will only watch his wedding video backwards and asked why he says, that way I can see myself walking out of the church back to my freedom. You know, and that's kind of how it is. He has joined so many others that have just absolutely missed out on the joy of marriage the way God has intended it. Amen? So we think about that, and, and the fact is that we need to get back to the basics, and we need to recognize the true worth of marriage, the true value in family values. Listen to what an author wrote in Florida. She states, the traditional two-family or two-parent family is outdated, it's authoritarian, and it's the cradle of many of society's injustices. The family is a structure not worth saving, she writes. The holy family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, is a repressive one, teaching author uh, author uh, um, authoritarian message and a belief in male power. I don't know about you, but that bothers me to the very core. This is the ideology the same ideology that they're teaching our children in schools. We need to understand that. It's okay to poison our children with this type of garbage, but it's illegal to post the Ten Commandments in a classroom. James Madison, he was our fourth president, but he was also the uh, uh, our nation's architect uh, for our Constitution. James Madison, the very architect of our Constitution, fourth president of the United States, listen to what he said. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government. He said, far from it. We have staked our future on the capacity of each and every one of us to govern ourselves and to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. 
those very commandments that are now illegal to post in a classroom. Now, I keep hearing about how we have come such a long way. But the problem is we've come the wrong way. We look back at statistics going back to 1960. Since 1960, there has been a 560% increase in violent crimes, 400% increase in divorce rates, 300% increase in teen suicides, 300% increase in children raised by single parents, and the United States leads all the industrialized world in murder, rape, and violent crime. The United States is also at the top or, or, or at or, or near the bottom in almost every category of education scores. And yet we are continually told to leave the Bible out of it, to leave God out of it, and they certainly don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we're told, and this is the result of it. Now I want to ask you a question. Say you were traveling in Philadelphia late at night and your car happens to break down and you're stuck right in the middle of center city Philadelphia middle of the night car broken down and you see a group of about 10 teenagers approaching your car how much better would you feel if you knew that those 10 teenagers just left a bible study amen how much better would you feel knowing that feel quite good. We need to get back to our God-established family values. Amen? And I want to start in the book of Genesis, skip down uh, in chapter 2, skip down to verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, skip down to verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So here God has declared that it was not good for Adam to be alone. He said it wasn't good for Adam to be by himself. Now I want you to take note here that this is God himself teaching us what is good for us. Amen. He's the one who has set the standard for a family. He is the one who established the standard for family values. That's what we need to understand. And this morning, we're going to dig a little deeper into this very first family, Adam and Eve. Amen? And we're going to see what God intended for marriage, 
we're going to see what God intended for the family from the very beginning. Now, we think about this first family, Adam and Eve, this husband and wife. I want to make a distinction here. Adam and Eve did have an absolute clear advantage over us today. You see, Eve could never remind Adam of all the other men that she could have married. Amen? And Adam could never compare Eve's cooking to his mother's. So they certainly had another uh, or a distinctive advantage over us. They also never had to worry about nagging, nosy in-laws either, did they? Prying into the marriage. But seriously, they, they did have an absolute advantage over us. Why? Because God himself taught them what marriage taught them what family was all about. Couldn't ask for a better teacher than that, could you? Amen? It was he, it was God himself that performed the first marriage ever in the Garden of Eden. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to think about a marriage made in heaven. Marriage made in heaven. Irregardless of how many earthly possessions that we can own, if you have a good marriage, you are rich. Amen? You are wealthy. You have a marriage whose worth is immeasurable. Amen? So the first thing I want us to think about is a marriage made by God. We need to understand that marriage absolutely was created by God himself. Right in verse 18, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Marriage was created by God for our own good. It did not evolve from the, from, you know, out of social convenience. It didn't evolve out of the swamp of immorality. It's not something that, that mankind decided to do. Marriage was created. Marriage was established by God himself. And he created it before he even created government. And he created it even before he created the church. So we need to understand how important this institute is to God, the institution of marriage. Now, let me give you the reasons why God created marriage. Amen? Why did God create marriage? The first reason is companionship. Amen? God told Adam it was not good for him to be alone. It was not good for man to be alone. He needs a companion. Somebody to share life's joys with. Somebody to share life's sorrows with. You know, some of my greatest and, and precious memories are sharing a sunrise and sunset with my wife on the beach. If you ever get a chance, go out early in the morning, walk the beach and watch the, the sunrise over the Atlantic Ocean. Or watch it set over the ocean. Can't ask for a be more beautiful setting than that. That's a canvas painted by God himself. That's how you know that love is real. When you see something absolutely beautiful, and you immediately think of the one that you love, and, and you wish they were with you to share it. Amen? That's companionship. When you have a good marriage, I want you to think about this. When you have a good marriage, when you share joy 
it's doubled. But when you share sorrow, it's cut in half. Amen. That's what you have when you have a good marriage. That's true companionship. Second reason that God created marriage was cooperation. Again, God said, I will make him a helper. A helper. A helpmeet. That's what God says, a fitting helper. A helper is one that works together for, a, for their common well-being. Amen? Husband and wives are to be each other's helper, to work together for a common well-being, to work together for their common benefit. A companion to cooperate, to cultivate one another's highest potential. Amen? That's what a husband and wife are to do. We are to cultivate each other's highest potential. That's cooperation. Third reason is completion. Completion. He said, I will make a helper comparable to him. A companion that completes one another. I always thought, you study the word of God, you understand, you read these verses and I always thought it was so fitting that we refer to each other, our spouse, as the other half. Amen? Other half. It's perfect. Because that's completion. Adam was created from the dust of the earth, but Eve was created from Adam's side. A husband and wife are to be one flesh. Amen? Wives, you're to be... Uh, your husband's completer, not competer. Amen? And husbands, vice versa. We are to complete one another, not compete against each other. We are to work together, not against one another. Work together for that same common goal, completion. Fourth reason God created marriage was communication. Now, this is not what it seems like on the surface, although it's important. I'm not talking about just communication with each other, although that is absolutely critical in a marriage. In my 20-plus years of marriage counseling, I can tell you the number one problem in a marriage, communication. Lack of communication. Communication is vital to a marriage, but that's not what I'm talking about here. That's not the main reason God created marriage. I'm talking about communicating a loving Savior to the world. I want you to think about that for a second. The greatest messages, the greatest testimonies in the world do not come from a pulpit like this. They come from your home. Amen? The greatest testimonies about Christ come from our home. A godly home is the greatest testimony in the world. The Bible tells us that early Christianity was spread from where? From home to home. The early Christians, they gathered for church where? In each other's homes. They didn't have church buildings back then. Early Christianity, Christianity traveled from home to home. Churches were held in each other's homes. In fact, our relationship with Christ is modeled after what? 
It's modeled after marriage. The Bible refers to the Christian, to the born-again believer, as what? The bride of who? The bride of Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is modeled after marriage. We are the bride of Christ. Being saved is like being married to our Lord and Savior. And a Christian marriage, a Christian home, is to model that relationship. Amen? Our homes are to communicate the love of our Lord and Savior. Communication. The fifth reason that God created marriage was continuation. What is the only command in the Bible that we did not break? I want you to think about that. All the commands that God has given us, we broke every single one except this one. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Amen? That is the only command that we didn't break. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Marriage was created by God. Marriage was formed by God so that we could continue the human race for continuation. That is why God established marriage between a male and a female. Amen? Procreation can only occur between a male and a female. We need to understand that. This is God's purpose. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our very creator makes a very stark difference between the sexes. However, Satan, he is doing everything he possibly can to blur that distinction. Amen? We need to understand that God has made us different for a reason, for a purpose. We think about how he created men and women. Men we are more right-brained. I didn't say right. I said right-brained. All right? Women are more left-brained. Men are more mechanical. Women are more verbal. Let me repeat that. Women are more verbal. Did you hear that? Amen? Have you ever noticed? So men, we are right-brained, and women are left-brained. So when a man finds a good wife, he's no longer a half-wit. Amen? That's just the truth of it. Men are right-brained, women are left-brained. You put it together, we're no longer a half-wit. So bottom line, that God created men and women, he created us different. Men, God created us to be providers, to be providers. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, go back a couple verses. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord God took the man... Which one? He took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend it and to keep it. God put the man to work in the garden to provide for his family. God put Adam in the garden to tend it, to keep it, so that he could provide for Eve, his wife, provide for his family. That is God's plan. Men are also to be the protectors. Go down to verse 16. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, he was talking to Adam, and he said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Who did God give that warning to? Adam or Eve? He gave it to Adam. God gave the warning to Adam, not Eve. Why? Because Adam is to be the protector of his wife, Eve. Amen? That is God's plan. That is God's purpose. As men, we are to be the providers and the protectors of our wife and our family. That is God's plan. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. God's purpose was continuation. Eve was to be the mother of all living. The man is the protector of his family and the woman is the mother, the nurturer. This is not my opinion. This is God's word. This is He who said so, amen? That's what we need to understand. He created us, he created marriage, and this was his purpose. Now, question. Who did Satan tempt in the garden? He tempted Eve, amen? He tempted Eve. And how did he disguise himself when he he tempted Eve? As a serpent, as a snake, Now, I want you to think back. We just read how Adam was given dominion over all creation. God told Adam, whatever you name the animals, that's what they are called. He gave Adam complete dominion over all creation, and that included all the animals. So I want you to think about this for a second. Satan disguised himself as a snake, as an an animal, as a serpent. God had given Adam complete dominion over all the animals. So what should have Adam have done? Adam should have rebuked the serpent and protected his wife. But Adam didn't. Adam fell down on the job, didn't he? That's why God puts the blame on who? On Adam. God puts the blame on Adam for sin, not Eve. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Ladies, I'm letting you off the hook, amen? Listen to what God says. He says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. Did you catch what God said there? Through one man, sin entered the world. He didn't say one woman. He didn't say through Eve. He said through one man, Adam. Because Adam fell down on the job and he failed to protect his wife by rebuking the serpent. As provider and protector, God has man made, or God has made man the stronger of the two sexes. We go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the what? The weaker vessel. Now, I want you to understand that God is speaking here of a physical difference. He's talking about physical strength, not value. The woman is the weaker vessel physically because man is to be the protector and the provider. We're talking physical strength, not value. Question, which is stronger, a porcelain dish or a, uh, you know, a, a metal pressure cooker? Which one's stronger? The pressure cooker, right? But which one is of more value? That delicate dish, amen? So God is talking about physical strength. Because a man is physically stronger does not mean he is superior. That is not what God teaches us. God created us physically different, but of equal value, of equal worth. That's what God was talking about, a helper comparable to him, of equal value, of equal worth. We are different, sometimes different as night and day, but we are of equal value, of equal worth. Amen? We need to understand that. So God made marriage for our good. He, gave, he made marriage for our own benefit so that a man and woman who are in love can be one, one flesh. That is a marriage made by God. Amen? Second thing, really quick, two more quick points. It was also a marriage marred by Satan. It was a marriage made by God, but it was also a marriage marred by Satan. Satan slithered his way into the Garden of Eden, and he waged war against that first husband and wife, didn't he? He waged war against that first family, and he's waging war against our families today. Why? Because Satan knows that if he can destroy the home, he can dominate the entire world. And that's exactly the course that he is on. He calls the first husband and wife to stray away from God. And it had devastating consequences. That's where death came from. Amen? Devastating consequences. We have to learn from that first husband and wife. We have to learn from that first family. Don't let him destroy your family like he did theirs. Amen? Don't let Satan come in between you and your spouse. Don't let Satan come in between you and your children and your family. Keep Christ at the center of your home and at the center of your family. Amen? Last point I want to make is that it was also a marriage marked by a marriage made by God, marred by Satan, but it was also marked by hope. Look at Genesis 3.15. God said, I will put enmity between you. He's talking to Satan here. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. Now, notice in your Bible that her seed, the word seed, was capitalized. 
and his heel was capitalized. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. It's a prophecy of the promised Savior. Not only is Jesus Christ the glue of the galaxies, but he is also the holder of the home. Amen? If he can hold every universe together, then he can absolutely hold our families and our homes together in his almighty hands. Amen? Where did Jesus perform his first miracle? What was the setting? It was a wedding. Amen? Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding in Cana. Remember, there is absolutely no coincidences in the Bible. God has a purpose for every single thing that's listed. It's not a coincidence that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding. Amen? What did he do? He turned water into wine. Friend, Jesus can do the same in our marriages. He can turn that water of disappointment into the wine of his joy. He is still in the miracle business, amen? A true marriage is between a man, a woman, and Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. There is no greater joy than a home that has Christ in it. There is no greater joy than a marriage that has Christ at its center. That is a marriage made in heaven. 